Tristan and Nick tonight. We're on Twitch. We're on YouTube. We're on the Odyssey app. Tristan, I don't know if you saw the uh, the score, the Pistons-Timberwolves game at the end of the first quarter. It was 40-39. to Detroit was on top. They're hanging in there. They're down 62-58 in the second quarter. Kind of slowed down a little bit. 79 total points scored in the first quarter between those two teams. And I don't know if you've seen the score in the Cleveland Cavaliers-Milwaukee Bucks game, but it's 22-2 Cleveland. <laughs> yes, God. That's not that's not game good for time. Milwaukee. Where's game time at? Man. Oh, come on. He gave your franchise so much. Don't you don't you yeah, I know you're bitter, but come on. He gave you over a decade. Come on. Come on. Listen, you got a lot back in return in Portland. You'll be all right. Be all right. Again, the breaking news, though, if you missed it, uh, Mike McCarthy staying in Dallas because Jerry Jones love, loves punishment and early playoff exit. So they're just going to keep the same damn thing again while Trista shakes her head as a Cowboys fan, knowing that my commanders on the rise. Here we come. We're going to finally not be in the basement anymore. That division, Trista. I cannot wait. We're not a joke anymore. Let the Cowboys be a joke. Everybody else in America loves it. Uh, Tim Barbalay is going to jump on with us now. Ravens pregame, of course, on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore those afternoons as well. Uh, you know, I, I the Ravens are a team where, like, for I feel like for you, we've talked, you know, obviously all season about this team every time you've come on the show. And, like, the Ravens are a team where it's felt like for years, if it was just have Lamar Jackson healthy and have, a, you know, maybe add a little bit more in terms of weapons on offense, they absolutely should be considered a Super Bowl contender. I feel like now, Everything has come together at just the right moment. Yet at the same time, the Texans are a team playing with house money. They got nothing to lose. I think the Texans can at least keep this game close. I mean, Texans are nine and a half point dogs. I feel like, Tim, they could at least cover in this game. But I still like Baltimore to actually win in this. What do you think of this Texans team coming into Baltimore and what they can do against the Ravens? I mean, how, how could you not be impressed with them against the Browns? I mean, there were guys just running completely wide open. C.J. Stroud has been phenomenal as a rookie this year. And these two teams played back in week one. Now, it's kind of tough to really glean a ton from that football game just because Lamar Jackson's first game in nine months, Odell Beckham Jr.'s first game since the Rams' Super Bowl, and C.J. Stroud's first game. I mean, these are two completely different teams but a couple things of note from that week one game were both the defensive fronts dominated uh, the opposition uh, in terms of offensive line. I mean, Lamar got hit a lot. C.J. Stroud got hit a lot. But I'm, I'm with you, Nick, where this is a young Texans team, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback. You can let it all hang out in this game in Baltimore. Yeah, the total is 43 and a half. And like you said, both quarterbacks pressured in that one. Texans only scored nine points, but they were still figuring some things out. The offense under Todd Munkin took a while to really get smooth to the point where we're seeing them put up 30, 40 points. With the weather with, and both teams with the propensity to get busy downfield, do you like this total going under or over? I mean, it's, it's a tough call because we were looking at the splits today with C.J. Stroud. And if you look in his five games that he played outdoors, the numbers are not even close to what they are indoors. I mean, you're talking about a passer rating that goes down over 20 points, passing yards that goes down over 70 yards per game. But <laughs> that all being said, I could see this go over the total. I think this Ravens team is going to put up points. And I think we have all been waiting for that vintage Lamar Jackson playoff game. 
And I have a feeling we're going to see that Saturday night. Uh, this offense was just clicking, firing on all cylinders. I get it. They haven't played a meaningful game since that Dolphins game where they dropped the 50-burger. But I think this offense and Lamar Jackson, they're going to come in a little pissed off because I think the narrative in Baltimore and, quite frankly, nationally, everyone's bringing up 2019. And, you know, Lamar has even said, we're tired about talking about 2019. I mean, it's a completely different team, completely different circumstance. I think this Ravens team is going to put up over 30 points. And I think C.J. Stroud could have some success, too. What are the chances that Mark Andrews plays in this game? If you would have asked me that two days ago, I would have said <laughs> 10%. But I was out at the castle today, uh, the Ravens facility, he ended up practicing in limited yesterday, practiced in full today, and he also met with the media for the first time uh, since that injury occurred. And typically, from a Ravens standpoint, that's a good sign. Um, if he is active, you'd like to think that they're going to try and ease him in, especially with how well Isaiah Likely has been playing. I don't think there's necessarily a sense of urgency but I can tell you just knowing Mark Andrews he's going to push like heck to play in that game Saturday <laughs> at this point I would say probably more than likely I'd say more than a 50-50 shot for Mark Andrews to play which is much different than I would have said at the beginning of the week wow that's interesting how do you think they'll utilize say Mark Andrews were to go and Isaiah likely like you said has been awesome the last a little over a month or so, and you look at the Texans, and I'm looking at their their stats, tech, uh, tight ends against the Texans, and they've gotten busy. So how do you think that they would utilize Likely and Mark Andrews, regardless of whether Andrews is a full go? Yeah, and trust, I mean, David Njoku, despite that game being a blowout, it, he was uh, having a really good game. It's going to be interesting because I feel like I've been beating my head against the wall ever since last year in terms of Greg Roman didn't utilize two tight end sets with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. Uh, they used it 18% of the time with both those guys on the same uh, on the field at the same time. Todd Munkin, it was even less. You know, I, I don't feel like people realize he likely only had nine catches prior to Mark Andrews going down for the season. They only played... 11% of the snaps together. So even less than Greg Roman, I would think that that has to change this postseason when Mark Andrews comes back, because why wouldn't it? Um, both of them have proven to be really, really good receiving threats in this offense. But I hate to play a cop out, but it's, it's sort of hard to tell because they just weren't used together at all when they were both healthy. But I think likely he's going to get the lion's share of the snaps, and I would definitely look heavy at likely props. So since week 11, Tim, Baltimore's got the highest point margin in the NFL. They're a plus 90 since week 11. And, you know, as the season's gone on, right, we talked about, like, this team's so good, but they're not putting teams away, and they've found ways to now win games and win them big and, and in dominating fashion now. What has been the difference from pre-week 11 to really now where this team is clearly, it just feels like they've taken that extra step and kind of, you know, closed the circle, if you will, on everything they need to be to be a, you know, a true contender. I think something that we have been seeing 
particularly from the offensive side of the football is this offense wouldn't take any deep shots through the first half of the year, first half plus. But you've seen over this stretch that they are starting to push the ball downfield with more regularity and having some success in doing so. That's always been a knock on Lamar Jackson throughout his career is the deep ball accuracy lack thereof. But now you're getting guys like Odell Beckham Jr., who's more healthy than he was at the beginning of the year. He's been getting deep. Um, Zay Flowers as a rookie, Isaiah Likely as well. I think the Ravens pushing the ball downfield and also this defense. I mean, it's been really suffocating despite the injuries. I mean, Kyle Hamilton's missed a couple games. Marlon Humphrey has missed more than half of the season. But for what the Ravens did following that bye week where they had the toughest schedule in all football, I mean, aces. Uh, you beat the Rams, Rams took the Lions to the brink, the Jags ended up falling off. Then to blow out the 49ers, blow out the Dolphins in back-to-back weeks, I mean, there aren't any more tests for this Ravens team. They are the test. Yeah, and I was talking, we were talking about this maybe a segment or two ago. The one thing that we could, I guess, give a knock on the Ravens for was that they would start hot and then fade late in the game, fourth quarters, allowing whatever opponent uh, to come back. With two weeks ostensibly off, you know, week 18, resting all the starters, and then the bye, do you think some of that continues, like creeps up like it did pre-week 11? Or do you think that they're able to continue the momentum that they've had crushing teams for all four quarters? It's possible. Um, you go back to 2019 where John Harbaugh was the same exact situation season finale against the Steelers. He opted to rest a lot of his starters. Ravens came out flat against the Titans and John Harbaugh said maybe he'd do it differently if he had uh, another crack at it. He ended up doing it the same way, but I would just say this, that team wasn't capable of coming from behind with regularity where this Ravens team can just beat you in a variety of different ways. And Lamar's really developed as a passer. I think, is there a possibility they come out a little flat with Lamar haven't played in, in three weeks? Sure. I, I think that's possible, but I think the difference between Tennessee in 2019 to the Texans this year is this Ravens team's good enough to overcome a slow start. So I'm looking at some of the props right now here. Uh, Zay Flowers, 51 and a half receiving yards. Odo Beckham Jr. is only down to 31 and a half. Like, this is the one thing that's certainly different about this team, right? Is that you do have some weapons to throw, even if, like, OBJ may not be the same OBJ we used to have. Like, we've certainly seen some flashes, at least, from him, you know, against uh, the Rams, had 97 yards receiving. What type of role do you think OBJ is going to have in this game? Are they going to maybe get the ball more to him? And, you know, it's postseason now. Guys got experience there. Because it's always felt like, there, there, there's moments with him, and then he kind of just disappears, but yet still adds something to this team. He's just been really a hard guy to gauge. I know we missed the season, obviously, with the torn ACL anyway, but OBJ's just been really hard to gauge this entire season with the Ravens. I'm curious his role, because I think this uh, he was also inactive in that Week 18 game against the Steelers, so mm-hmm. I think him resting up, it seems like Odell Beckham Jr. has really just been nicked up here banged up here he has missed a couple games but there was a stretch there you mentioned the rams game nick and the, the Bengals. uh he went for over 100 yards 
And he's had just these flashes, these bursts. That Dolphins game, he only had one catch, but it was that crazy sideline catch, the 33-yarder. Yeah. Go back to the Rams, you know, a couple years ago. He didn't do that much in the regular season. And then when the postseason came, he turned it up and went for over 100 yards in the NFC Championship against the Niners. Looked like he was primed for a big-time game in that Super Bowl before suffering that knee injury. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we're going to see some big-time games from Odell Beckham Jr. in January. And I think this Texans defense, you can take advantage of them. They have given up a lot of chunk plays. I want to say they're bottom 10 in passing yards per attempt against them. I expect the Ravens to come out and take, take some deep shots against this defense, and I think Odell Beckham Jr. could benefit from it. Nico Collins balled out. That was the one piece of consistency from the Texans from the beginning of the season to the end is he's been awesome. Six receptions, 80 yards. Robert Woods, who's banged up now, he played really well as well. Like For you, as you're looking at what the Texans do well and some places in the Ravens defense that they can exploit, where do you think and who do you think is best suited to have a great game for the Texans? Well, this is why I feel like the Ravens match up so well against the Texans is if you're going to knock this Ravens defense, there's one area where they're susceptible. They struggle stopping the run. I, I think they're 14th in yards per game, which you think, okay, that's all right. But the Ravens just get out to such big leads. Teams can't stay with the running attack. They're bottom five, bottom six in yards per carry allowed. Texans don't run the ball well with Devin Singletary. So if the Texans come into Baltimore and win, C.J. Stroud's going to have to have a monster game. Nico Collins is going to have to have a big game. Ravens uh, tight ends, you know, some tight ends have given them trouble. Maybe this is a Dalton Schultz type of game. Marlon Humphrey, it seems like he's probably going to miss Saturday. He did not practice for a second consecutive day today. Now, Brandon Stevens, who's really filled in his place a lot uh, during his absence, has had a really, really good year. And in that Week 18 game where not a ton of starters played, he did. George Pickens didn't see a target. So it, it would have to be some of those mainstays. I'm thinking if the Texans are going to win, it's going to have to be a Nico Collins. It's going to have to be a Dalton Schultz. Yeah, it's crazy to think we're even talking about the Texans being in this position, but here we are. It's an organization just flipping things over after one season. Tim, appreciate the time as always, man. You got it. Anytime. Thank you. Tim Barbelli. Trista, I, yeah, I think everybody's like, it's tough for me because emotionally I want to see the Texans just keep going, but I did bet the Ravens to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. So, you know. Probably going to have to lean that roll. way myself. <laughs> it's BetMGM Tonight. We're back with BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Yeah, those Clippers 8-2 and two over their last 10. And, you know, we're making a lot of jokes, Tristan, about how the James Harden trade and how bad they were and, oh, this is a disaster. And, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys are healthy. They're playing games. It's almost like, Huh. When you actually have your stars out on the floor consistently, you could be a pretty good basketball team like the Clippers are now. I uh, I think I'm ready to believe. I want to be ready to believe. The Kawhi Leonard extension, I think, is a good thing. Paul George's will be right behind him. 
probably James Harden right behind him. They'll all be on the same timetable. Zubox has to get healthy. They got to figure out the backup center yeah. position. But, man, they're playing some good basketball. Oh, Tristan, before we get to Cameron Smith, just, just one second here. Jerry Jones has released a statement. This is all. I'm only going to read you the first. I'm, I'm only going to read you the first line. That's it. Quote, I believe this team is very close and capable of achieving our ultimate goals. And the best step towards us will be with Mike McCarthy as our head coach. That is your owner right there. Oh, I love it. No, I can't read it like Stephen A. I won't be able to do that, Scott. I see that in the chat. I'll keep it at Jarrah, and that's all I can do. But listen. Yes, am I being cocky because my commanders are turning the corner? Absolutely. Have I had nothing to celebrate in two decades? Absolutely. But the one thing I can always celebrate is Jerry Jones continuing to just let mediocrity sit. I, I, look, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Like, I honestly, I feel for you because I know what you're, you're looking at going, why can't we have nice things? Why can't we have a coach that can get us through to, I don't know, winning one playoff game or not having Zeke line up at center? I, this, is, this is so great. It's, it's just, we're the we're the most expensive <laughs> poverty franchise that exists in the NFL. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's oh my god! It's just like you said, right? It's the Cowboys, the Lakers, the Yankees. These organizations with a great history, but they just the Bulls. They, you, they're worth a ton of money. Bulls, yeah, Bulls, another one too, where you sit there and go, yeah, they've got a great history, but they just like to sit there and bask in mediocrity at this point. Cameron Smith jumps on with us, co-host of the Better Angle and BetQ, also from Stadium as well, and. uh if you want to throw any shots at Trista about the Cowboys, feel free. I'll leave that up to you. I've, I've tortured her since this thing started, man. But I, I am interested, too, what your thoughts are on the Pascal Siakam trade to the Pacers because Trista and I were actually talking about this earlier, and uh, they're very comfortable in the fact that they can sign him long-term. He's apparently said from the beginning, like, that's where he wants to be. So what does that say about this Pacers team? I mean, not just this year, but really moving forward. This feels like a team that's really ready to kind of take that next step over the next season or so. Well, Nick, before I dissect that question first, thank you guys for having me back on BetMGM tonight. So it's great to be back on. Trista, you know what? It's a safe space, and I will let you know into what my NFL fandom is. So born and raised in Chicago, so naturally and kind of unfortunately, especially like in the last 30 years, I'm a Bears fan. So all of just the mediocrity and just below average play, like I can understand what you're feeling with the Cowboys. Obviously, the Cowboys have had a little more success than the Bears, but definitely not in the postseason. But part of my... NFL fandom is I have a lot of family on my father's side from Dallas and Tyler, Texas. So if the Bears aren't playing or they're not doing well, which is, you know, about 90 percent of the time, then I'm gravitating towards Cowboy games. So I feel you. I've been catching a lot of heat at work. I've been catching a lot of heat with a lot of my friends and family. So it's all good. Joy comes in the morning. But also, come on, man. Like something, something has to give. Like at some point, something has to stop with all just the failures Oh, okay. I'm digress I'm digressing right now. Trista, I see you getting ready to unleash. I don't want to do this right now with you. So let's move forward and talk about the NBA <laughs> and Pascal Siakam. Just woosah, breathe it out. So, Nick, to answer your question, man, it's really weirdly making Indiana a destination place for players. When you think about the situation with Tyrese Halliburton and what he does as a point guard, right? I mean, when was the last time you associated exciting basketball and fast break up and down basketball with the Indiana Pacers? Like, yeah, you could possibly say it when Paul George was there, but it was more of like a half-court game with him and Danny Granger when he was a Pacer. But this is a young team that's fun. They're energetic. Tyrese Halliburton is a young point god, not point guard. He's a point god mm -hmm. with what he's been able to do at that position just making sure that everybody eats on that team. And it's a big reason why they have the number one offensive rating 
in the NBA. So now you add in a guy like Pascal Siakam, who was so crucial to that Raptors team with that 2019 NBA championship. You add that experience and that championship pedigree, along with what he does on the defensive end, which Indiana very desperately needs help on because they have one of the worst defensive ratings in the NBA. But it's a situation with the Pacers now. They're pushing their chips all in. They're like, you know what? We believe in what we have. We were able to keep Buddy healed. We were able to keep Ben Matherin. We were able to keep Obi Toppin. I'm not sure on how long Obi stays there because those minutes that Siakam is now going to take even more, along with Aaron Neesmith from Obi Toppin, Obi's going to try and get out of there. But still, they have the right pieces on this team to really challenge some teams, not even just in the first round, but second round. And with the confidence that they've built already in dog walking the Bucks in the regular season series so far, you got to think that if they face off against the Boston Celtics, who we've seen them beat in the regular season before, I don't think this team would flinch. So this is a major upgrade for this Pacers team. Now, giving up three first-rounders, that's a lot. But still, getting Pascal Siakam back for the right now and for the future, of course, they're trying to re-sign them in the offseason, which I believe they will. This Pacers team is looking really, really nice, even more now. And the odds have shifted from 50 to 1 to win the East to 20 to 1 to win, in, win the East from that trade alone. The thing that's interesting to me is you look at a place like Indianapolis, which, let's be real, isn't a great place to live, not a huge market. It's pretty cold. And then you look at another team like Sacramento. Sacramento reminds me of Indiana, young point guard who can do some things. Obviously, they did the trade with Sabonis and Halliburton, but. Siakam said specifically to Sacramento, I'm not signing here. Do not trade for me. What does that say between those two teams that Siakam would choose Indianapolis over Sacramento to you? Well, understanding that he's planning on that expiring contract for this year, he believes that, you know, with Sacramento and just how their books are, he's not sure if he'll be able to get the dollar amount that he's expecting this upcoming offseason. So with the Pacers, they're going to try and move some things around and free some things up so they can sign Siakam. So I understand that from that aspect, but it's also the familiarity of the Eastern Conference, right? Like, why go over to the Valley and the West and knowing how difficult the West is? Like, you guys are talking about the Clippers and Trista. You're trying to believe in them. I'm right there with you. Like, how they played since December 2nd, winning 18 of their last 22 games. It's like, oh, are they real? So you think about them and the Nuggets. At some point, you would hope that Golden State turns it on. Um, I know we'll get into them in a little bit. Same thing with the Lakers, but you have Oklahoma City, you have Minnesota, you have so many different teams that can give you issues. And we've seen what the Sacramento Kings have issues with. It's not just about scoring the basketball. It's just trying to stay consistent. So Siakam's a guy like, hey, I will stay in the East, in his opinion, and this is why I think he wanted to go to Indiana instead of Sacramento, that he believes in Tyrese Halliburton more as a point guard than De'Aaron Fox, because at least he knows that he's going to get his touches. Like, Fox is more of a scoring point guard. It's not a knock to De'Aaron Fox, but still, if I was in Pascal Siakam's shoes, I would want to play with a guy that's freely given up that basketball and wants me to get out and run so we can create some highlights. So I think that's part of it. But then also it's just with the situation with Sacramento, what are they going to look like, right, coming off of the offseason that's coming up after this one is done? I'm not sure if they bring Malik Monk back because he's going to command a high dollar value on the market. And so when you look at this Kings team, and especially recently with the struggles that they have, like they, they cooked themselves against the Philadelphia 76ers last Friday with no Joel Embiid. And then they go into a situation Sunday against the Milwaukee Bucks. They were up in overtime and allowed Damian Lillard to get a free run 
just inside of half court to have Dame time be an experience for Milwaukee Bucks fans. And then we saw what happened last night against the Phoenix Suns, almost up 30 points in the fourth quarter, and you allow Phoenix to come back, take the lead, and win the ball game. Is something going on in Sacramento that Pascal Siakam's like, yeah, I'm good. I'd rather stay in the East and team up with Fox and Buddy Hill and Ben Matherin and those guys over there and try and make some noise over here. Yeah, and it I mean, clearly had some amount of leverage, right? Because you can tell a team or have your agent tell them like, hey, I'm not going to re-sign there. And they're going to be far less willing to give up any assets to trade for somebody like that. You mentioned the Lakers and Warriors. I mean, those were two teams that were uh, – half the NBA was interested in Pascal Siakam. He brings everything yeah. to the table that any team could certainly add to their roster. But we're looking at the Lakers and Warriors right now that are just like – the little line on that 10 spot right there, they're just kind of hanging on to it with like one hand, trying to keep themselves just in playoff, uh, playing, uh, did, did, like just trying to get there essentially, right? Like watching these two teams right now, let's look at the Warriors first. Is there anything that the Golden State Warriors can realistically do? Not like a Twitter trade, but you know, a real obvious move that they could make that could elevate them into anything more than just a fringe playing team right now. I, I can't see it, Nick. I, I really can't. And that's really the task for Mike Dunleavy, Dunleavy who's in that, that that front office for this team and making moves for them and making those decisions. Like, they're, they're strapped with cash, right? So you can't bring in some big name or make some big trade because at the end of the day, as great as Steph Curry is, as great as Klay Thompson is, if I'm a potential trade piece, like maybe just, for example, right, like a Pascal Siakam, right, who would have been nice for that Warriors group, I'm not sure on how many shots I would get within that offense, right? I mean, with Draymond Green as a facilitator facilitator of that offense, my role within that, especially with me coming in as a trade piece and I'm trying to find some type of home and really plant my feet 10 toes down to make sure that I can stay here and grow something with this, I'm not too encouraged and enticed by that because Steph Curry, is, as I mentioned, as great as he is, I mean, how many more years are we going to see Steph be able to be Steph? Right. That clock is ticking down. So I don't want to be in that situation where I'm stuck and I don't have anywhere else to go with the Warriors. So I don't realistically see any moves that they can make that can improve what's going on with them. They just have to stay put with what they have. I mean, we thought we saw something and then maybe try and turn a corner last Friday. And I saw that firsthanded uh, against the Chicago Bulls when they beat the Bulls. Right. John the Kaminga had one of his best games of the season, then turned around the next night and had 28 points, I believe, against the Milwaukee Bucks in total 52 points after those two games on the back-to-back. And you would have thought, even though they lost to the Bucks, that they played them tough and took them into the fourth quarter, that maybe Golden State is starting to show that fight. Maybe they're starting to show that defensive communication or show more communication than the lack of the Steve Kerr address that we heard last week. But then Martin Luther King Jr. Day happened on Monday, and they got smacked in front of a national audience against the Memphis Grizzlies team that only had Jaron Jackson Jr., that I'm sure if people had a contest of, hey, name this player on the Memphis Grizzlies, and you gave them a billion dollars or let them try and guess it for a billion dollars, they would not get it right. So you can't lose to those teams and embarrass yourself. So it's a Warriors group that has to lean on what their experience is, and that's championship experience to try and get themselves out of it. And I know Draymond Green has missed 16 total games um, from this group, but I just don't see this team really getting themselves into a position where they even make the play in. And I'm going that far. I don't think Golden State makes the play in that it's that dire of a situation for them, but they can't find an avenue of success or just a breath of fresh air to get themselves out of that rut. So I can't see it happening for Golden State, Nick. 
I wasn't sure, Cam, if Masai Ujiri was going to lose Pascal Siakam for nothing because it's happened so many yeah. times before, and it's like getting blood out of a stone with him. He just wants so much. The trade happens, and you have IQ and you have R.J. Barrett that are there, but largely not a ton of shooting. What's the future now, do you think, in the short term for the Toronto Raptors? The short-term future for the Toronto Raptors is, look, if you come to the six or if you see us coming into your arena, you know it's going to be a hell of a night. Because when you look at what they have roster-wise with IQ, with R.J. Barrett, guys, at the end of the day, when you're traded, no matter what sport it is professionally, it was basically you being told that you're not good enough for this team or we don't have you in our future plans. So now you're feeling the type of way about that. So that's the same thing that Emmanuel Quickly is feeling, R.J. Baird, of course, and really the same thing with Bruce Brown Jr. Now, of course, I'm sure that Masai Ujiri is going to try to find some type of home for Bruce Brown Jr. because if I'm Bruce Brown, I'm not trying to be part of a rebuild, right? At this stage of my career, I'm coming off a championship last year with the Denver Nuggets. I want to be in a position where I could possibly win another ring. So I'm sure he's talking to his agent and trying to see what's out there for him. But at the end of the day, for the Raptors, one thing that they can always control is how hard they play. And again, with IQ, RJ Baird, of course, Scotty, Scotty Barnes, who I love, like it feels like his motor never stops. Those pieces, along with like a Chris Boucher and just the length and athleticism that the Raptors have, they're going to play you tough. And I wouldn't be surprised if this team fits into the playing spot once again. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on the Knicks because he was part of the other player that was sort of discarded. What do you think the Knicks can be now? I think the Knicks can still be a team that before the season, guys, I thought they were not only going to be a top six team in the East, I thought they were going to be a top four team in the East. And I still believe that with New York because Julius Randle is playing all-star basketball once again. My man Jalen Brunson, who I've been covering since he was in high school, is just built differently. So he makes this team go. I think it was great news, the possibility, the rumor reports about Mitchell Robinson possibly coming back before the season is done. But you got to give some love and some credit to Isaiah Hartenstein. He's been really good at that center position for the Knicks for Tom Thibodeau's group. But you're starting to see everybody naturally fall into their positions. Of course, OG Ananobi, when he first came over to the Knicks and the win streak that they had going on, it was like a breath of fresh air for that offense. For a guy that just can cut and move, the Knicks are going to be very, very good and will be a top four team when it falls in Ah, music to my ears hearing people say good thing good things about the Knicks. Cameron Smith, the better angle on BetQL Stadium as well. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you guys. Love it. Thanks, Love Cam. talking hoops with Cam. All right. <laughs> the Knicks, a four seed. Oh, I'll take every little bit of success, Tristan. We all come on, we love it. It's BetMGM tonight. We're back with BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Lakers and Mavs just getting underway now. We got that Wednesday night ABC game that they're they're doing now in the NBA. Look, we've, we talked about this before. More and more just live sports. Every network is going to take every little bit they can. Lakers making a little bit of a starting lineup change, T, adding a, you know, Torian Prince out there. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell. That's that's the starting lineup they're working with now. And, uh, yeah, look, they've added some shooting. Seems like it's maybe clicked for them early. Like, the Warriors are a team. We just had Cameron Smith on who kind of agreed, like, there's really not much the Warriors can do to really improve the current situation they're in. The Lakers were able to make a lot of moves last year at the deadline, turn themselves into not just a playoff team because they're kind of in the same spot they were last year before that. Then they end up getting the Western Conference Finals. 
kind of a surprise at this point. They've just reverted back to where they were before. I really like their offseason. But it does, it does feel like the Lakers at least have a little more wiggle room, although reports are today that Zach Levine to the Lakers is not going to happen. Oh, I don't think that there was any way because $40 million a year for Zach Levine, you need him to produce Ooh. at a level that you would essentially be taking away other players that you need that are making, you know, 20, $25 million a year. And now they're gone from this roster. You need depth. If you're the Lakers, you need shooting. Obviously, if you're the Lakers catch and shoot shooting, even more importantly, and that's not really Zach Levine's thing. So yeah, I could see why Zach Levine would not be a Laker candidate. I think they have more possibilities than the Warriors do at success. They need Austin Reeves to play better. They need D'Angelo Russell to play better. They need Rui to play better, right? And we saw them play really well in the playoffs, kind of like a whack-a-mole where you weren't sure who was going to play well on any given night. Jared Vanderbilt has to play better as well. But are we getting that version, those playoff versions of them at all consistently, or was that just kind of a fluke? So Lakers are going to make a move at the deadline. What is that move? What is it for? Because they're not going to want to give up Austin Reeves. So I'm very dubious that Rob Plink is going to be able to pull a rabbit out of his hat. And I bet he's just thinking to himself, why didn't I just go and get Kyrie? Why didn't I do that? <laughs> Did you see that article on ESPN.com today about the whole process and how they were trying to – Kyrie was – because remember when he was sitting courtside when they were in the playoffs, everybody knew that was the statement he's making. LeBron's going over and dapping him up and hugging him. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, Kyrie to the Lakers, Kyrie to the Lakers. And then nothing ever came of it. And instead – you know, he's back, takes the big deal right into free agency with Dallas. Uh, you know, this 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 Lakers team, it's still LeBron heavy. I mean, LeBron's getting a ton of minutes. It's it's We talk about this every year, right? It needs to be a little less LeBron. They need to be able to have other guys that can support him so he's not bringing the ball up as much. And, he, you know, he's not out there playing so many minutes. But the guy's also a freak of nature. And in the reality, he's looking around going, I got no other choice. Like, I have to be still LeBron that's like he's 27 years old out there playing 35, 40 minutes a night and bringing the ball up and just – I just, there's just no way that this thing can last the entire year. Yeah, you're right. And LeBron James as a point guard has been, the team has been absolutely awful in terms of plus minus mm -hmm. when he's playing that position. Yeah. You need somebody that can bring the ball up or at least, you know, facilitate the offense. He has a five, he has a one, both don't work. I think DeJounte Murray makes a lot of sense. What do they have to get DeJounte Murray? I know that they'll probably want him. Is he the best fit? Probably not. But he's the best player that's probably available, and he's not making that much money. Lakers are going to have, like, no draft picks till like, 2035 when this is all said. I know. I know. It's crazy. But, you know, I mean, it is – It's look, it's – you know, right, you talk about these organizations that live off – like, they have a history of winning. You, get, you can't really – even though they've had to do it, you can't really rebuild – if you're the Lakers or if you're the Yankees or if you're the Cowboys, it just doesn't really, I mean, these teams have obviously had losing seasons, but like, that's not their intention, right? They're always still trying to figure out ways to win now because you're just in markets and you have fan bases that expect, you know, kind of all of that to happen. But I, if you had to pick one team between the Warriors and Lakers, that was at least going to be in the like to miss the playoffs. And I'm talking playoffs and play in, would you lean Warriors to over Lakers? Cause I think I would right now still. I would. Yeah. There's nothing that the Warriors are doing that gives me confidence that they're going to figure out, especially now that Pascal Siakam's off the table. Yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of felt like that was the one fix that they could have had, but now that Siakam's gone, it just kind of, you look at the Warriors, you look at the Lakers. And again, I mean, you look at these standings now, 
Minnesota's legit. Uh, Oklahoma City's legit. Denver is a team that we know at this point is really going to care more about the playoffs. Having a top three seed probably matters to them, but the Clippers are now getting better. Dallas has played better. Uh, it's just this changing of the guard in the Western Conference where you've got new young teams, just like it was Denver taking that next step. It feels like Minnesota and Oklahoma City are the same way, and we're seeing some of these other ones just get pushed down. The Lakers and the Warriors are down there, and it's just – it's it's kind of crazy to sit here and see Minnesota and Oklahoma City at the top, but two good young teams. Uh, I think we kind of thought they would take that next step. It felt like Minnesota took longer while the Thunder have kind of stepped up quickly. But, you know, I mean, this this may be the entire season. I, playoffs is different, but regular season, it really matters to those those two teams. So, all right, Scott, it is a Wednesday, my friend. Maybe, oh, what do you got, Trista? Oh, I was just going to finish it up by asking you, Whose win total over would you rather take? Golden State at 40 and a half or Lakers at 42 and a half? I, I, so I would say Lakers at 42 and a half. That's a great question because I think they're more likely to make some moves at the deadline where Golden State can't, where maybe the Lakers kind of have a late season push like they did last year, where again, with Golden State, I'm watching a team that's just eroding right in front of us. And doesn't feel like there's a lot of things they can do to stop the flooding as opposed to the other side where the Lakers have some sort of wiggle room where it's a low win total. I'd take the Lakers over 42 and a half. Would you do the same? I think I would. Crazy. We're sitting here until I, I really thought the Lakers were going to continue that momentum from last year. It's, it is a fickle momentum is a fickle, fickle thing. Isn't it? You, you love their off season. You're like, Oh man, it made some great moves. And all of a sudden you sit around and go, Okay, so now it's not working. It was working before. Now it's not. It's, you know, it, it, it is the NBA, I guess. All right, Scott, it's a Wednesday. How about a little uh, Would You Rather? It's now time to play Would You Rather with BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network. Good to be back and good to play a little Would You Rather on a Wednesday from our home studios um I, you said you would you know you were hoping that the lakers would be able to continue the momentum from last year i was hoping that they'd be able to continue from the in-season tournament nick you know they they hung a banner for that so <laughs> t we'll start with you would you rather on a wednesday the texans plus nine and a half or the packers plus nine and a half this weekend would you rather water pistol to oh. face as they like to say <laughs> oh my goodness i think Listen, I'm not doing either. I'm just going to say that. I, I think the Ravens can cover easily. But C.J. Stroud has been playing on another level recently, especially the way that they put up points on the Browns, which is the number one defense in the NFL. And you talk about the Ravens. They've been off ostensibly for two weeks. Really, it's so Lamar hasn't played in three. And maybe they come out rusty. And maybe the Texans find a way to get Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz involved. Don't think Singletary is going to be able to do much, you know, running the ball. They've been horrible in the last few weeks. But if I had to choose one, I think I would take the Texans. Yeah, the Texans are one of the teams I just kind of, when I looked at that and I saw them go past the key number nine like that and that nine and a half, it's very tempting. I have not bet it, but if you go back and look, in the last three years, Lamar Jackson's one and nine against the spread as a favorite of a touchdown or more. So when he becomes, you know, he's been in these positions in the past. I know it's three years and there's injuries and there's a lot of things, but it's just something to think about when you get to the playoffs. Like there's a team in the Ravens, right? Their mindset is we got to win a Super Bowl. We got pressure on us. 
And then you got Houston on the other side of things. And they're just like, eh, we're not even supposed to be here. Some of the most dangerous teams that we've ever seen in any tournament, right? March Madness, uh, you know, the NBA, NFL playoffs, whatever form of playoffs or tournament you've looked at. It's the teams that are already overachieving and have nothing to lose. So Houston at plus nine and a half is not, I wouldn't blame anybody for betting that. I'm tempted. I have not done it yet because I really love the Ravens and the Ravens have a chance to also just blow Houston out of the water because it feels like at some point this Houston train is going to come to an end, right? You're looking at it going, yeah. all right, they keep winning. They've already overachieved. Like at what point does they just, do they hit that wall? And you go, okay, like they haven't hit that level yet as a team. It's just, it's hard to bet against Houston, but the problem is the Ravens are a team that should and could win the Super Bowl this year. So out of those two, I definitely would go Houston plus nine and a half. All right, Nick, we'll keep it right with you. Both are currently plus 325. Would you rather bet Lamar to win Super Bowl MVP or the Lions Ooh. to win the NFC? I'm going to go Lamar MVP only because I have more confidence in the Ravens getting to the Super Bowl and winning it than I do the Lions getting past the 49ers. Now, 49ers, I'm a little concerned with the way the regular season ended against the Ravens. Week 18 doesn't matter to me, but we also saw post uh, post bye week where they were an absolutely dominant team. Uh, I just think it's going to be too hard, especially defensively for the Lions, to be able to stop that massively potent offense that the 49ers bring to the table. Now, I get it. The Lions can keep pace. They got just as many weapons, really, offensively as the 49ers do. But in the end, defensively, you got a lot of guys that can rush the passer, uh, San Francisco side of things. Aiden Hutchinson's been playing out of his mind. But I just I can't have the Lions pass the 49ers versus the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. So give me Lamar as a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, I think that that's a good bet. I actually like that bet regardless of the would you rather, truthfully. I think mm -hmm. the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl. I could very easily see a rematch between the Niners and the Ravens, and I don't see how it's going to be much different, even if the Niners have time to prepare. This Ravens team is just very good offensively, defensively, and the matchups do not favor San Francisco. So give me Lamar, plus 325 for MVP. You know, it's I, what I do really love seeing here now too, Trista, is that like we actually just get to see the Ravens at like, for the most part, full strength, right? Like they lost J.K. Dobbins at the beginning of the year. We may see Mark An Andrews. I mean, Tim Barbalace joined us earlier and said there's a 50-50 shot maybe in his eyes that Mark Andrews is back out there playing. But we've been saying this for years, right? I want to see the Ravens with Lamar Jackson healthy actually in the playoffs. Now we've got that opportunity. So you look at what they've got. They can win because of their offense. They can win because of their defense. And hell, we saw them win even because of their special teams a few weeks ago. Yeah. Going to be a very, very fun playoff. I, yeah, I, and I just kind of wish the Ravens weren't playing the Texans. I wanted to see the Texans maybe get to like AFC championship game. Just add to it a little bit, but... Again, in the NFL, it takes one season, the right coaching, the right quarterback, and all of a sudden you can flip things around and everything's totally different. And the Houston Texans are an example of that team, that organization. Got to have smart people in the front office, though. If you can't identify talent, really doesn't matter at all. So here we are. All right, we'll look ahead to some of those divisional round games this weekend, some of the early lines, a little bit of line movement on top of that as well. Bet MGM tonight.